There we go. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of our Workflow Wednesday podcast slash or video podcast. Uh, video podcast, week, probably. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this week, we're joined by the one and only, the <laughs> 3D printing nerd, Joel Telling. Uh, yeah, this one's very exciting. It's so this one's a little different because um, oftentimes we have um, you're kind of you're a content creator, YouTube and things like that. But also you dabble your 3D printing stuff um, touches on workflows that I don't think we've really talked about yet. So I'm really excited for this one. The 3D. I'm excited, man. So just in case somebody out there doesn't already know who you are give us a little introduction who you are what you do and all that sure well hello to everyone who might not know who i am my name is joel telling i host 3d printing nerd a show on youtube that education inspires all while having a really good time Uh, i create family-friendly content and i try to inspire anyone and everyone around the globe no matter where you are where you come from to just make cool stuff and have fun while you do it Right on. Awesome. So um, I guess right off the bat, and just in case anybody watching, please do, if you have any questions, go ahead and put them into the chat. We'll get to right, them as soon as you possibly right can. For me. Um, and so please, please do. But so right off the bat, I'm really curious how, I'm going to be really basic, but how did you get <laughs> into it? Where where did the, the 3D printing come from? Like, where did you start? Well, uh, it's a super good question. So back in the day, my first printer was a FlashForge Creator Pro that my wife and kids got for me Christmas of 2014. Before that, I'd always just liked 3D printing, but it was like one of those things where I didn't have spare funds to just throw at a hobby or Mm -hmm. (laughs) spare funds to throw at another hobby sort of thing. Uh, But I I watched a lot of Tom Sandlatterer, Tom's 3DP. He's a Mm -hmm. uh, German uh, YouTube person who's just I mean, my friend as well. And then also uh, Jerry Barnickley's Nerdgasm. You know that oh, guy. Who yeah, she was pretty early on. Stream to after our show today. So, you know, shout out to Jerry. <laughs> Gotta give him a hug when it's safe. So I watched those guys. They were talking about 3D printing and how cool it was. And I just, it looked neat, right? I'm a giant nerd. So I just, I like cool <laughs> things like that. And so my, my wife and kids got me the printer for Christmas 2014. And uh, after that, I, I remember just diving deep, trying to do stuff. And eventually I was like, I just, I'm, I'm learning how to do stuff. I think others should learn how to do it as well. And I, I had recording equipment and I thought, let's just put it all together. And um, I know I'm a nerd and I like 3D printing. So 3D printing nerd was born. And that's that's nice. literally where it came from. That's awesome. So, <laughs> so it, I feel like, We've come quite a long way. It's six years, I guess, since you start really started, and and probably yeah. closer, yeah, probably closer to ten since um, I suppose consumer level three D printing has kind of become a thing, and it's really it's cheaper than it's ever been to get it started. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they have, like I think Prusa has like a two hundred dollar three D printer. You can just well, not exactly, not exactly, but okay. we can uh, for for uh, FDM printers or the the kinds that melt plastic to deposit mm-hmm. onto a build plate. You know, two to three hundred bucks is going to get you a decent machine and some material to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, as on the resin side of things, uh, same price. You can you know three hundred bucks is going to get you you know a little bit of resin and a and a smaller machine that prints really well. Uh, it's it is. There really hasn't been a better time to get into this this hobby if this was something you were curious about. For sure, for sure, and and, and I, you were right. It was a resin printer. I had a, I had pictured it in my mind. It's it fairly like cheap. Right yeah, <laughs> it. um, it's, it, I know it's like, like I think I was had the wrong brand, but it, it's fairly cheap. Real easy to get into resin. Yeah. Prusa, Prusa makes the Prusa Mini or Mini Plus, which I believe is three ninety nine US. Mm, uh, the, okay. the 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 less the really less expensive ones that perform really well are from Creality. Okay. Uh, one of those popular ones is the Ender Three platform. You can that get the Ender Three V two, which is uh, which is the Ender Three platform with some upgrades installed by Creality. I think for two fifty two sixty US something nice. like that. Oh yeah. Okay. Wow. See, that's super. Cool. And well, that'll go off on a tangent. Never mind. <laughs> I just I'm there surprised. are so many tangents we'll be able to take oh, from this, and so I'm, I think you're going to have to rein it in a little bit. For sure. For sure. Because um, <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm shocked at at the fidelity that we can get both in resin and filament mm-hmm. printing, like tiny millimeter, little bit, and it's just it's super cool. Um, but I'm curious. Say you wanted to create something 
from scratch. Uh, you have places like Thingiverse and things like that where you can find 3D models to print and or slice and print mm-hmm. and things. But what's what's the process from idea to model? Like how does oh, I that see work? what you're saying? I see what you're saying. So um, any it depends. This this is that's a very personal process. But for mm-hmm. most, uh, typically you want to sketch something out first and give it some sort of dimension. Um, you know, paper or or whether it's on the computer and you're drawing something in Photoshop or GIMP or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you move to the digital side of things. And honestly, um, r- right now, it, it, it's crazy. So if I don't know if you've heard of Tinkercad, but it's web-based, just like the streaming platform we're on here, web-based. But it's a web-based right. CAD engine that okay. is very simple to use. It's It's based on simplicity. It's essentially you're taking... You can dimension things and you're taking shapes and adding and subtracting them from themselves. I mean, if you have a if you have a cube, you take a sphere and you smush it into the cube and then you subtract Mm -hmm. that sphere. It's going to leave a hole. Right. Oh, Cool. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Imagine that. But 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 on steroids. So that's that's kind of what that is. And it's web based and it allows you to create really easily. There's also uh, Autodesk Fusion 360, which is a a really popular CAD program that allows you to 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 go even further down the rabbit hole because it's it's more precise and it has more tools built for engineering specific tasks. Okay, right on. What do you use then? For your personal, <laughs> I uh, I like Fusion three hundred and sixty just because mm-hmm. it's what I started to learn in, and it's it's easy enough for me to do simple tasks. Uh, Tinkercad also works well, just because uh, with Tinkercad, if you have a basic model like that you've downloaded from Thingiverse or my manufacturer or whatever, it's easy enough to import into that if you want to change it. There's slightly extra steps that you have to take to do it in Fusion three hundred and sixty, and it's a little bit more complex. But okay. I. I am 90% of the time Fusion 360 for anything that I need to create from scratch. And if I need to edit something, then typically it's Tinkercad. Okay, cool. Yeah, right on. Typically. I know there's lots of other options that I'm I'm not mentioning here, but, you know, again, tangents and rabbit holes. Sure, yeah, because there have been some mentions. Um, ben E. Brady on YouTube mentioned Design Spark Mechanical. Sure. Uh, Darth Asper mentioned Inventor. Uh, oh, and Autodesk Inventor, Onshape, uh, SolidWorks, uh, Oops, Morphe SolidWorks. on the iPad, uh, even even on in Windows, 3D Builder from Microsoft. That's yeah. pretty cool. It's so right on. It's nuts. That's awesome. Okay, we do have a, a first question again from oh, Darth yeah. Asper. Um, he asks, if you would make a printer farm and you had a f- unlimited money, what printer would you pick? That's that is a fantastic question, but it needs a little bit more refinement because typically okay. a printer farm is built to fulfill a specific need. Uh, oh. For example, my buddy Luke at Out of Darts produces parts to make Nerf blasters. Custom oh. Nerf blasters, Nerf carriages, flywheels, all that kind of stuff. He has a print farm, I think, of 80 different uh, Prusa 3D printers, just because he went with what he knew and what had good support. And those seem to work for the height, the width, and the depth of all the parts that he needs to print fast and consistently. Uh, some people, though, um, they're, they might have to pivot their farm to printing longer objects. So maybe a belt printer solution is the way to go, or perhaps tall objects. And you need a bunch of industrial grade Ultimakers or raised 3D machines that are super, super tall. Or perhaps you're based in a country that you it's harder to import certain things. And so... Um, uh, the craft bot machines I know are sourced out of uh, a different part of the world. And so sometimes they're easier to get if you're oh. in the, uh, the European side of things or, uh, or stacker machines over there. Really, um, sometimes uh, people will say, uh, I want to create a print farm because I want to print things for others. You know, you want okay. to do uh, commission-based printing. And so really just a, a general uh, overall approach to this is a, a good example is actually my buddy, uh, Alan, who has a uh, record. He goes by Pooch. And okay. uh, he has, I think it's 25 different Prusa i3 Mark III S3D printers. And he's got some other machines just to do the projects that those might not be able to do. But for 99% of the load that he has to support, the size of the Prusas are acceptable. And so 
uh, I like the question, but it's just it, it it's not just I want a print farm so I can do this. It's well, what what need are you going to service? You know, what parts are you going to make or who's your customer? So there's a lot more questions that really go into that. I do like the idea of having unlimited money, though, because then you know <laughs> I would buy exactly what I need. Sure. I hope um, that makes sense. I'm so let I'll, just for again for my own personal interest. Let um let, let me expand and say, what if I wanted to print uh like say Dungeons and Dragons minis? Okay, that, on so a map mini scale, like like bunches sure. of them all at the same time. Sure, something like um, how uh, Hero Forge I think does something similar. Sure, or or uh, or I know our buddies uh, at Level Fifty Two, close to to Puget. There, they're mm. they're also doing the three D printing minis as well. If you want to do that. You want a machine. You want uh, a number of resin 3D printers that have mm. high quality. But honestly, there's something called uh, from the company Frozen called the Sonic Mini 4K. Ooh. So it's got a build plate that's just about that big, but it has a 4K screen on it. So you're getting the highest fidelity possible on these little miniatures, and it's really fast too. Ooh. And so you could get you could get. Uh, those are like 250 bucks, I think. So you could get uh, you could get eight of them for two grand and you've got eight machines plowing away at everything you throw at it as long as it's a mini and they'll output great quality and you'll just have a pile of stuff ready for you to paint. Wow. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Does that help? I, it helps me. <laughs> uh, but no, I, th- I think that does touch on it um, well enough. Uh, Daryl Watts on YouTube asks, Hey, Joel, have you been using your Creality CR6 SE since you first reviewed it three or four months ago? Oh, hey, Daryl. Um, I haven't as much. So um, I, I did find that uh, it, it, it's a good machine when I reviewed it. And unfortunately, there there was uh, a number of hiccups from Creality when the shipping units came out. And uh, it led to the, the, the further thoughts that companies shouldn't get into Kickstarters or we shouldn't review Kickstarter machines. It was just it, it oh. was crazy. Uh, okay. But um, uh the machine that I initially reviewed, the the production sample, if you will, uh, still mm. performs well. I don't use it as much. Like it, it's at the studio, but if I load some filament and throw a model at it, it'll print it and it'll do okay. a really good job. I haven't been running it 24 uh, seven, but that still works well. The other one, so from the kick, <laughs> so from the Kickstarter, one of the things I said was, I'm gonna put my money where my mouth is and I'm gonna buy two of these from the Kickstarter because I reviewed it well. And I wanted to show people that I'm not just telling them to do something. I'm, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And so That's I bought good. two and uh, uh, one of them, I went to plug in the USB port and it sparked and it killed the board. <laughs> which uh, uh, that's not good. No. And the other one that I bought, I ended up selling to a friend for what I paid for it. And it's been running fine. So, oh, good. Okay. So uh, mm. two for three, one for two. I don't know. Sure. Well, <laughs> and I, I see what you mean too about, um, it, it sounds like you, you, you'd reviewed like a pre-production sample, like you said. And so that can be rough once it finally hits, you know, mass production things. Weird little things. It's, can it's be really, weird. really tough because if I'm going to give you an opinion on something, but that something is 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 nothing you will ever see, then what does it matter what I think of it? And right. so it's like, well, I have to say, here's something cool that's coming out. You have to remember, if you're going to invest in Kickstarter, you can also set your money on fire and get the same result. So you have to be careful and choosy and not use money that would otherwise feed your family. Right. And it's yeah, just, that's, it's that's just one of those advice. things, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Darth Asper asks, uh, he's asking about when is the F1 project coming back? And oh. so in, this one... I think it's a few years back, you took what was a very small model and swelled it up, right? Just a bit. So the original yeah. OpenRCF1 project, I scaled it up 4X on all dimensions. Uh, so it used roughly 50 pounds of filament to print it. And then um, I had our friend Robert uh, Canine. Uh, oh he, yeah, uh, uh, he did. Thanks to Adam as well, did the the power plant, and uh, the speed controller, and the remote, and the servo for the wheels. Um, I had. I've since then. I've I've had my friends at Siemens um, machine out two stainless steel front axles for it. Hmm, cool. uh, and then I used the really big printer in the garage to print a brand new front wing for it out okay. of a different material. So. 
It's slow and steady. Uh, it's just it's, it's one of those things where it's really difficult because um, I, in the video that I did with it, the final one where it ran into the back of Adam's Tesla, we had the speed limit set to, to at max, at maximum, it could use 10% of its total power. And uh, the braking system wasn't figured out well. Oh, <laughs> there were, yeah, we, there were issues, whatever, you know, we tried, uh, it was a lot of fun. So what I need is a very large flat plot of land to run this on, because if we can go a hundred percent of power and I hit go, it's going to be a couple hundred feet away from me really quick. And yeah. on pretty streets, uh, unless I'm running FPV, that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, even if I'm running FPV, that's a problem. <laughs> oh man. Wow. That's what that, that that's going to be exciting. It you? rains a lot here too, and it's yeah. not really suited for the rain. And so yeah. it, it's it's baby steps, but you know. I wonder if you could take it to um, to uh, it's not um, Alameda specific raceways. Um, oh, those uh, Covington. Would they let you do that? Go, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Maybe. it's a loop, but that'd be kind of fun. Oh, is it? To... It depends. So a lot sure. of times when you. Um, when you go, it's, I, I don't know, I, if it's smooth enough, it'd be worth a try. Yeah. I think uh, it'd be really fun to be in a helicopter chasing it, you know, yeah. but that takes, that takes a little bit of investment. Sure. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, Arman, I'm not going to butcher your last name. So Arman on YouTube asks, question for For Rosania. For Rosania. Thank you. Uh, what do you think will be the next paradigm shift in resin printing? Oh, that's a really, really good question. Thanks for that, Armand. So resin printing, right, the, right now we're at a point where we've democratized it like crazy because machines and materials are as cheap as they've ever been for the highest quality they've ever been. And so I think what's going to happen is uh, the next the next paradigm is going to be engineering different materials for people to be able to print because right now like if uh the youtube channel integza uh his name is joel legit good dude but he did a ceramic resin where you print with the ceramic resin and then you fire it which burns out the filler and then you're left with a ceramic part to make a rocket nozzle that's great so now imagine now imagine more more innovation around that more innovation around being able to print something with a known shrinkage level that mm -hmm. you could then fire and get a different material out of it whether it be a, you know a steel or a, a different polymer or or a wood or i don't know but i mean i think what we're going to see is really cool innovations in materials because mm -hmm. because if we're talking about a paradigm shift um having having resin-based 3d printers get larger or print better detail that's not really a paradigm shift that's just the trajectory right yeah <laughs> incremental improvement i suppose right but a paradigm shift talks about a different use or or the ability to to grow into a market that wasn't once considered and i think that has to be materials sure and that's you touched on an interesting point there that's something that blows my mind uh every once in a while when i when i kind of run into this topic is um the different materials that people are printing with. Like it was at first like copper and things like that. Like, oh, that's pretty cool. But <laughs> now, but but like you said, like it starts getting into a lot of other things. And just before the stream, you were mentioned talking about um kind of what well, this was more CNC related, but organic, sure. organic shapes and things. And um, and then it ties it ties into like construction. You see those videos of them like basically 3D printing concrete buildings. Yeah. Um and so why why not? You could have these crazy twisted steel buildings almost mm -hmm. if you if you could get it to print proper. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it. Think about this. If if you had a method which is additive manufacturing, able to create structures that couldn't be machined or manufactured via any other method, and you could make it stronger than these other methods using same materials or if you had these new materials that were even stronger we're talking about using less material to make stronger parts yeah and, and once that gets certified if for different parts like um, airlines i know it's still crazy to talk about uh, airlines using additive parts like additive built parts rather than machined but we'll get there eventually yeah. and we're going to talk about lighter airplanes using less material that can fly faster and further with less fuel right. I'm, I get the feeling we'll see a lot more um, inspiration from biology 
um, like you mentioned, airplanes. Mm -hmm. If we could mm -hmm. reprint the structure of an airplane in a similar way to like bird bones are very hollow and full of spaces, but they're still very strong to hold the bird together. I don't sure. see why we couldn't do something like that for airplanes. Well, we borrow from uh, certain CAD packages. You could do uh, load testing and strength testing. You can define your points and say, you know, how much stress can a wing made of a certain material like you put in the the numbers for the material and how much stress can it be or you can say hey i need it strong here and it's going to be held together here create me a shape that will handle that stress the best and then all of a sudden you have a machine shape that can't be made any other way than additive and it's powering your design that's just cool it that's is cool. very exciting stuff. that's just really I cool think, i think it, it there's there's a lot of application that is only just starting to be touched mm -hmm. on. It's mm -hmm. going to be very exciting. Um, oh, we have another question from YouTube. JL 3D Printing says, Hi, Joel. Uh, do you know anyone that has got the MMU2S working on Marlin? Oh, on Marlin. Okay. I'm currently working on getting MMU2S working on my CR10S style custom build with an SKR 1.4 Turbo and Marlin. So there was a lot of words that I There's know. There's a lot of words there. So essentially together. what he's talking about, he's talking about the MMU2S. It is a multi-material system for Prusa, machi Prusa machines. Okay. And, uh, but Prusa is open source and it's just, it's a, it's, you know, it's a motor and a selector and it takes filaments. So you should be able to throw it commands to work on other machines as well. Okay. I, uh, I haven't really been following that. I haven't played with the MMU2 or 2S yet. I, I've never got that in. And uh, I really haven't followed any efforts in trying to get that working on other machines. So I have to apologize. I don't know. I haven't heard anything. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. So, yeah. so you say multi-material. So that's like, uh, and I'm going to be just grabbing a few terms that I've do it, do it. recognized, but that'd be like PLA and PET? The, the sure. basically different kinds of plastic or or what have you that can right. go through the printer. Kind of like one of those old pens from the 90s when you'd slide the tab it's exactly down. Like that. It's exactly like that. Imagine that, but imagine filaments. So if you have fil four filaments or five filaments going into different holes, then it knows what's in each hole and it can select, I want this one, load it into the system, do some stuff, and then it can retract it and then pick the next one and then put it down and do some stuff. Just like one of those pens, man. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. You click that into color, and then you have to unclick the color before you click the next color, and right. that's exactly how it works. It, awesome. Like, exactly, exactly. Hey, that's cool. All right. <laughs> uh, oh, Daryl asks, um, I was going to ask where you can get that STL file of the little mini Joel that your friend made up for you that one day. Oh, hey, Daryl. So uh, the, the original mini Joel, let's see, it is uh, that one. It's so cute. Focus. focus. There we go. There we go. That one. This was made by uh, my, my friend Wexter, and mm -hmm. it's over on My Mini Factory. There you go. Yeah, you can get that. It's a just look for a Mini Joel or, or Little Joel or I don't know something. I have a miniature Houston of my own, but it's although oh wait 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 you know what at uh, the office for my friend that my friend made. So go back to Daryl's comment. Oh sure. Can, can you highlight that one more time? Mm -hmm. But the little mini Joel that your friend made up for you that one day. So it, it, he could also be talking about because um, uh, broken like, anvil the robot. The robot Joel, right? Well, there's the robot. Yeah, there's the robot. But there's also uh, the the little mi the the Joel the Geomancer that broken anvil miniatures made. I've heard of this. Yeah, and uh, that's that's with their Kickstarter. I know they'll have stuff their STLs for sale after the fact, but right now that's not available. Okay. Yeah. Jazza actually uh, got that one and, and it's going to paint it. Oh, cool. That'll be exciting. That actually, so so you mentioned that the this, this the company is going to sell the STLs. How do you keep that sort of thing proprietary? Like, the, it feels like to me, like a fundamental aspect of 3D printing is the openness of it. Like, sure, you could take something that somebody created and, and copy it and start making your own thing. Um, how do you protect your custom thing in in the Honestly, world? Yeah, you don't release it. Oh, oh, that's the okay. other way because it's it's so much. I mean, if I have STLs to sell, once someone else has possession of that digital asset, then it's honestly out of my control. I can associate different licenses with it, like you can you can share it, but you can't sell it, or you can share it, but you can't modify it. You know mm -hmm. the 
that licensing. But at the same time, it's like once once a digital asset has left my hands and is in possession by someone else, it is 100% out of my control. And you have to rely on the kindness of strangers, which I mean, I don't know. It's like rolling the dice. Sure. And I, I do think most the, the vast, despite the prevalence of, of digital piracy and things, I do think most people are tend to be in the camp of like, I pay most. for this and, and yeah. Most, so. most, yeah. But you run into, uh, for example, a lot of people that do custom digital models that they then sell through their Patreon, like mm-hmm. they'll, they'll you know, do four a month or whatever. Um, sometimes groups on Facebook will pop up where it's just free, ST, free paid STLs and, and, people join up and they just post all of the STLs they've ever downloaded from a person. So others can download them for free. Yeah. And then we have to complain to Facebook and they have to shut it down. And, uh, uh no, but thank, <laughs> yeah. thank, thank goodness that it is a lot more kindness out there than there is terribleness. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned, I have a little miniature of myself. We used photogrammetry to, mm-hmm make the 3d model of that how often do you if at all do you use any sort of photogrammetry software i don't i don't at all um it's always interesting and i know how to do it but uh it's taking a lot of photos mm-hmm. and it's putting it together and then it's printing something and i'm it's just I, I if there was something specific that mm-hmm. I wanted to recreate digitally. That's probably the method I would go with, but I just, it's just, I, I don't know. There's, there's imagine 3d printing as a tool or scanning mm-hmm. as a tool. And I just mm-hmm. haven't had the job that I want to use that tool for. Sure. Yet. Sure. Oh, that makes sense. It was yeah. really fun. It, and it did seem though, to add a few extra steps. Cause like you said, you have to take a bunch of pictures, you mm-hmm. load it into the photogrammetry software to make the point cloud. The point cloud then becomes a 3d model. The 3d model then has to be sliced. The slices have to be fed to the printer. It seems a little complicated. Uh, uh just, just, involved, just, just a little bit. It, it's just a little bit, but it's enough to where it's just not something that I'm playing with at the sure. moment. Yeah. Adrian Girardot, I think this is going to be the French pronunciation. Girardot. Girardot. uh, Girardot. Do you think that home 3D printing might help develop flexible mechanics applications and industrial concepts for everyday use? Things like flexible joints, for example. To me, TPU feels magical. Absolutely. Uh, That's... That's... Part of what's awesome because 3D printing itself has been democratized right now to the point of getting as many people as possible into the hobby. They're experimenting with rigid materials and flexible materials and putting them together and and using and, and making inline joints. Mm. And, and I yes, that that is going to you're I think what you're gonna find is that a lot of the younger generation right now, I mean, not, not necessarily right, right now, because everybody's home, even though they don't want to be, but, sure. but, uh, but, but, you know, stepping back a little bit, the younger generation right now has access to a lot of really incredible tools and, and the ability to collaborate with others. And so I think what we're going to have that over the next five years is an incredible amount of highly qualified individuals ready to work on the next generation technology because they've been playing with it in their garage. And I right. think, I think that's the most exciting part. We're going to have people ready to design right out of school already using the stuff that the business is trying to use. They're, we're going to have qualified candidates just just ready to go. Just boom, boom, boom. It's going to be a lot of fun. That, yeah, that'll be really good. I especially like seeing um, the medical applications. I've seen like 3D printed casts that have like this kind of webbing mm-hmm. look to them. And so it's like more airflow, but it's still rigid enough so you can keep your arm right. together. Like prosthetics, which I love to see when homebrew stuff um does better than like the professional or like commercial Mm -hmm. uh solutions it's it tickles me quite a lot well i that's that but that that's just how it works right because homebrew is able to pivot and create a lot faster right Mm -hmm. when you look at industrial solutions 
you look at machines that that are old and archaic running older machines with people who had to learn stuff in college and they've just been doing it for 20 years so that's how they do it it's like uh when when the big need for ppe first came about when when everybody needed these face shields and masks mm-hmm. that's why you had people in the maker community be like oh i know how to make this and so they they used what they knew and we made lightweight easily to repro- easy to reproduce headbands that could then take a binder uh, or an overhead sheet as a clear plastic riser and i know it, it wasn't perfect but at that time it was able to ramp up within hours of the need and we got something awesome while traditional manufacturing could then play some catch up and get going and so it's always going to be it, it or i guess it should always be that homebrew can pivot and create faster but then lessons learned from that should be incorporated into the trajectory of more traditional processes i agree yeah in fact, uh, our buddy Ren over at Corridor Digital. Oh, did you yeah. see the episode where he did the little um, the little prosthetic for his buddy that uh, that was missing part yes. of his finger, and yeah. Uh, yeah, he used three D printing and twine, and they had to fit it and it, you know different sizes, and then That's yeah, so, cool. so it was it was great. Yeah, I'm curious. So it seems it seems like three D printing is almost uh like sort of hobbyist um what are some of the big commercial applications like what what everyday thing has someone maybe interact with that they wouldn't realize is is 3d printed or or adjacent so you're gonna say it's gonna be parts within typical manufacturing so you're it there's there's not that much out there right yet that's just easily relatable um As for as an example, Siemens in Germany is using additive manufacturing to make parts for their industrial steam turbines, which can, which can service a couple hundred thousand homes with power. You know, I can say that, and you and everyone else can be like, "That's cool, that's cool." But you know, I can't be like, I can't point to something in your kitchen and be like, you know, okay. just like that. And so it's just. It's really, really hard to relate it. We're getting more to a point where people know more about the technology. It's just still, it's still really, really hard to to throw out something super relatable because okay. you know your mechanic down the road isn't just printing parts for cars that they're using, you know, to to, to fix old cars. It's being wow. done, but mm-hmm. it's just not a common practice. There are parts that airline industries are three D printing that go into airplanes. Mm-hmm. No, it's not the wings that flap or nothing, but you know, oh, yes. it's, it's it's right. It's stationary parts and brackets and wire harnesses and stuff like that. So, okay. I mean, there, there's advancements in in the in the bio industry because they're able to three D print organs and stuff they're not always doing it it's not like right. it's uh it's not like it's just a, a section in the hospital where they beep 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 like a microwave and out spits a heart but <laughs> you know but we're at the beginnings of where 20 30 years down the line that could be the typical normal and so uh it's still it, it's we need the young kids that i talked about that are growing up with with just knowing this, getting into the workforce, and we'll see that explosion of innovation in five yeah. to ten years. That's my guess. That's sure. my guess. It's like uh, it's just like you. If you give a small child uh, an iPhone or an Android or whatever, and mm-hmm. and they are able to unlock it, just because it's such a it's such a native move, right? It was brilliant that little slide to unlock, and right. you can give it to a small kid who's never seen it before, and they will be like, "Oh!" And they'll unlock it. It's a very, uh, it's a, it's a mechanical experience, and you just your brain just gets it. And so, with all those kids that are growing up right now, they're going to know about the processes. They're going to know the slide to unlocks for manufacturing, and it's just that's why I think we have a really bright future ahead of us. Yeah, it's very cool. I'm, I'm, and again, like it's it's. T- Touching in industries and places where you we wouldn't re- just automatically think about it because like yep. there there seems to be that that sort of gap between oh you know I've got this little cute little test robot thing <laughs> that gets printed out versus you know you're saying you know wiring harnesses or weird little sure. flappy parts on things and um, well here go to the imagination two form comment it's oh. uh, wasn't Gillette using three D printing for their handles too oh sure so. So, so that I, I 
I went to Gillette, we talked about it and it's, it was a, it was an effort to kind of do this just to make these custom handles for shavers. And it wasn't like the whole company is doing it. It was more like a group within a group, you know, that was really nimble being able to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, they, uh, they made me, I've never shown this before. I don't oh. think but they made me a custom one. Oh, that's cool. So it's a, it's my, it's my Joel bot with a, with a razor handle on it. Whoa. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's really, but cool. that's where, I mean, that's, that's interesting, right? It's not mm-hmm. a, it's not a product per se, but you can now take something traditionally known and make something custom. So you don't need a Joelbot handle, but what if the handle had uh, finger holes in it for those that couldn't hold the razor? Or what if it was sloped in a certain way for someone who is missing a, uh, a partial finger to be able to hold it better? And so that's where we start talking about it being awesome, but it's still yeah. bespoke. It's still custom. And so it's not it's not a push to having uh, a major manufacturing effort move to it, but it's able to let people use something that wouldn't have been able to use it before right that's pretty cool yeah that's awesome that's, let's see. <laughs> it's just I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated when i do this talking to different people and 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 exp- and broadening my own um understanding of of how these tools are used and it, it's always so cool uh because it, like there's comment from jl 3d printing ferrari 3d prints pistons like that's yep. pretty cool like so Not all of their pistons and i'm sure. sure they're just testing it you know right but that's that's kind of mind-blowing because like it is what do you what are you you're printing titanium or like what do you 3D because it's not just plastic like that I think is the common conception. Imagine because uh, I showed this off in, in Gerlitz, Germany when I visited Siemens and imagine a head. It's a CNC head or like a MIG welder. It's just a MIG welder mm-hmm. just spitting out metal in a shape and then they can mill it to smooth it and that, that's how they made the axles for my car. Uh, cool. Yeah, but. Uh, it's possible to make that. And the idea is it's using cheaper stock to get, and it's not mm-hmm. wasting as much material. So it's, I don't know, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Did I miss anything? I don't know. A lot of talk of car companies using 3D printing for production parts. Oh, yeah. I like that. I mean, like, I, there are tons and tons of companies using additive manufacturing to make all sorts of really cool stuff. It's just, it's not a. It's not their main effort. Sure. It's, it's prototyping and, you know, stuff like that, which is awesome. It's just, it's, it's just really hard to convey that to the typical household. Sure. Sure. I'm curious, um, some of your thoughts on, and this is going to kind of touch back on the, the piracy topic, but, um, I guess, you, you know, there's that old, there's that old ad, you wouldn't download a car, right? Well, we're at a point now where you kind of could. Oh sure. In in a in a real way. Like I, I do remember there being an article of a of somebody who 3D printed themselves like a Porsche, or at least the body of, of No, a, it was a Lamborghini. It's a, a 3D yeah. printed car. It's a Lamborghini event event aventador. 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 I don't know, something like that. Good people. Okay. I I'm gonna I'm gonna go visit them. They're in Colorado. Oh nice. Um, yeah, they've Absolutely. they've on their CR10, they're just printing the parts for it and they're making it. I, I mean, obviously it's still gonna have uh a powertrain and brakes and wheels and you know uh instrument cluster i mean it's going to have all the regular car stuff it's just the 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 frame itself is uh is the plastic with some uh fiberglass resin kind of enforcing it and then that becomes the body okay so yeah. i'm i'm curious how what are your thoughts on I guess that's sort of where, where do you, is there a line to draw and, and um, is this nefarious, you know, because they're kind of stealing a, a design for themselves. Is that weird? Is that bad? I'm well, it's, I have, that's I have a very interesting feeling. question. So Lamborghini's uh, okay with it. Oh, cool. Okay. Like super okay. Like they actually invited them out to track day. They gave them a real car to drive around for a week just to show it off like it's oh. it's it's amazing because because it's it's something that not everybody's going to be able to like like your your upper crust multimillionaires who want to buy ferraris they're not going to opt to get a 3d printed one from someone's garage sure so 
if you look at it from a business standpoint, Lamborghini isn't losing any money and they're getting free public free publicity, right? Sure. A company that makes vehicles for for very select individuals all of a sudden is is involved in a heartwarming story. So mm-hmm. so I mean it it would be it would be in their best interest to just push it like crazy. Now, if if a metal 3D printing plant like Siemens was able to 3D print all the metal parts for uh, a Lamborghini and source the fiberglass shell for a Lamborghini and sell it as a Lamborghini, but cheaper, then we'd be talking about a business issue. Okay. Well, I suppose it, it it just occurred to me while I was thinking about it, that it kind of bumped into a similar area as like kit cars. You know, you can buy yeah. a, you buy a Volkswagen and turn it into a Ferrari with a, you know, a shell and things like that. And I, sure. I guess that's, kind of occupies that weird sort of gray space i'm not sure the, the sort of on that think sort of it more along this way um uh years ago before i had a youtube channel i was 3d printing cookie cutters and selling them i thought mm-hmm. i have a 3d printer i'm gonna make money i made seattle seahawks cookie cutters and i sold them mm-hmm. So technically, uh, I was legally in the wrong because I was using a trademark logo in a way that uh, I wasn't expressly provided to me mm-hmm. and selling it. I was making money from it. I, I didn't get in trouble, but the Seahawks, they their front office did say that we know we have a lot of fans who are very creative and selling stuff on Etsy and we typically will not go after them because we just want all of our fans to have all the stuff. But if I guarantee you, if the Seattle Seahawks were selling cookie cutters, mm. they would shut me down in a heartbeat. Sure. Because then I would be there's... interfering with their ability to make revenue on a product they sell. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. That makes sense. I, I feel like that's a good, a good, kind of the line i right hope there. that makes sense right yeah. it's uh it's like one of those things it's i mean don't be a jerk and uh if <laughs> just be you know if you do something that's probably nefarious and wrong in nature you'll, you'll probably get caught right right so all right we have some more questions from youtube ben e brady asks joel of all the, the printers you've used which i imagine is quite a lot uh which is your absolute favorite uh hey ben uh so the the problem with that question is it assumes that i am going to stack rank everything and i just don't have the mind space for that so typically when someone asks this question uh, I will say it's the one near me powered on with the filament I need ready to go. <laughs> sure. And, uh, and I say that because uh, it depends on the situation. If I, if like behind me is the Daedalus for project R3D and it's loaded with some atomic PLA and it's, it's ready to go. Uh, when I power it on, I just upload a G code file and I hit print. It's, 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 it's calibrated. It is good to go. Right. And so right now it's probably one of my favorite machines to use just because it's set and ready to go when that wasn't there. And I had a Prusa mini back there. That was probably one of my favorite machines because it was right there, ready to go, typically loaded with the filament that I need. And so it's just, it really, it's, it's more situational. It depends on what I want to print and what material I want to print with and whether or not that machine is ready to go. Like I could, it could be that, I have a machine in my studio loaded and ready to go with exactly what I need. But I would think, wow, that's going to be my favorite printer now. And I'm going to take the trip over there and I'm going to set it up and I'm going to be really excited. and I'm going to use it. And, uh, and then I come home and there's something else I want to print. And I'm like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to hit this one behind me. And I'm like, get it going. And it's just laying down perfect. And I take a picture of it and I'm like, this is awesome. So it's, it's very situational. It's just, sure. It's, it's, it's almost like, uh, they're all my favorites, <laughs> depending yeah. on what they're doing, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and that makes sense, especially in a creative space, because like, um, you know, some people ask like, "Oh, what's your favorite like paint to use or whatever?" And and it, it does. Uh, it, I, I feel like in creative pursuits, it really does depend. It's it's situational. Like, what are you trying to accomplish? And hey, Houston, so, what's your favorite video card CPU combo? Uh, mine, right? The one that I have. <laughs> really depends on what you're going to use it for, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah, it makes a big difference between you know, 3D rendering or Photoshop or video games and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it depends on your your goal. Yeah. 
Um, exactly. Let's see here. Oh, I have a question. Uh, and and I'm maybe you've already touched on this in your own content. Um, it's really hard for me to keep up with everybody. Uh, I've seen some some videos of yours that you're you're printing something on a bias. Uh, you, you oh, on a, on a, um, it's uh, like at a slant. A, a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what is what's yeah. that about? That's kind of new and different. Uh, it's sort of new. So it's been around for a few years. The idea being, if you were to print onto a moving platform, then if, if the nozzle's like this and the bed's like this and it can print, then the platform can move and eject the part and then it's free to print again. So it's mm -hmm. a, you know, it's a mass manufacturing method. However, if the nozzle was tilted like this, then your plane is like this. And so you print a little here, you print and then you print and then you print and you print and you can print forever. Right. Like, uh, oh, is this going to work? Ah, there we go. Oh, yeah. There, there it is. So, yeah. yeah, this piece, Whoa. right? What so, is that? This is going to be for a camera arm. A camera arm? Or a light arm. Yeah. So I'll be able to, This is, it has threads here that I can screw down. And then when I print another one of these, right, this hole will interface right here. And then I can have it adjustable. And yeah. That's, and so is there a reason it's that big or is that just for the lulls? Uh, I scaled it up to be 700% of normal size. Normally it's, uh, you know, the Pixar lamp. Normally yes. it's like that scale. It's just a oh, little desk it's like, accessory. So you could, it's boom. just like that. Yeah, like a boom it's just like that. Okay. Just like your mic boom. But this one, I was like, I have a belt printer. Let's see what happens. So uh, Caleb over at Make, he had the review of the, the belt printer from Creality. And then he printed it at 200% scale. He showed it off. I was like, that's cool. And I have an idea. And so it became my favorite printer at the moment. See what I did? And I was able to print that out. And uh, I just kept taking pictures on Twitter. And I'm like, it's going, it's going, it's going. And sure enough, it worked. I love it. Yeah. Is, so it, it is just that big for because not because like it, the light is that heavy or anything. It's just because it's funny because I could. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. Uh, <laughs> really cool. Uh, oh, and uh, here's a, an older question. And this one might be a little bit of a vague and depending one. What is the best okay. cheap 3d printer? Oh, well, I, the, the word cheap sometimes means not of good quality. Uh, and so I like to, I, I'm sure they don't mean that. I think what they mean is what is the best, least expensive machine, right? Yes, I agree. And so uh, right now your options are going to be really, I mean, the the Ender 3 from Creality and its its flavors, those are, they've gotten the quality down on that. And I think they're great. The Ender 3 V2, probably the best version of that one. And it's, I think, 269 US, I think. That's but good. it goes together really easy and prints right from the get-go looks superb um on the resin side i know i talked about it uh the frozen sonic mini 4k it's going to be i think it's going to be 250 bucks but because it's so small it has a 4k screen we're talking about tiny tiny pixels to be able to cure that resin so you get amazing detail and yeah. uh yeah honestly if you if you have 400 us you can get either resin or 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 filament you know plastic extrusion and material and have money left over wow that's mm -hmm. that is that's, that's not bad for a high tech hobby, right yeah. yeah that is i mean that's I mean, a console. can i get a 400 dollar pc monitor keyboard combo that that is worth anything yeah <laughs> <laughs> you could but you know what what are you going to do with it it's a chromebook <laughs> yeah right yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool um so, uh, so we we got maybe about ten or twelve minutes left. So I'm gonna. Oh my start god, we haven't even talked about workflow. I know. Oh, we, well, a little, because like, okay, so yeah, the, actually, we did. I did ask that kind of near the beginning, but we got a little distracted. Sorry about again so, tangents, man. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I guess describe how it works for you then. Like again, from like idea to thing. Well, uh, so filming. Uh, so Sean is in uh, 
Michigan. He's my editor and my producer, David, is in Los Angeles. And so what I will do, we'll talk about ideas of stuff to film and then I'm I'm here. So I will film it. And whether it's my C70 on sticks or I use a Canon R5 or a Canon XF400 or a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema 6K or a GoPro or an Osmo or my iPhone or whatever, right? I will, I will figure out the best way to film, hopefully in multiple angles, whatever I'm doing. And then what I do is I take all that footage off onto my PC and I just verify it looks good. I'll run it in VLC or bring it into uh, Resolve just to, just to verify it looks good, scrub the audio. Then I drop it in a Google Drive. Okay. And that syncs up there and my editor, Sean in Michigan, will pick it up. And then he will edit it together for story and, and put out uh, an RC cut and then he and david and myself all watch it we make notes you know time code notes whether we need to squish stuff or expand stuff or add stuff or remove stuff or or whatever right so then sean will do the edits and then we will get back an fc or a fine cut and we watch it and if that's good then that's what gets scheduled for youtube to release whenever okay. uh, he syncs all of his assets to google drive i then bring them down to my home machine and then i use uh those assets to to create thumbnail candidates, which I then text out to Sean and David. And we talk about which ones we like, which ones we don't like. And then we pick one that gets associated with the video. And then it's scheduled for a time and a date of release along with metadata, you know, keywords and links in the description, all that sort of stuff. Sure. Once that gets scheduled, then I take my folder full of all that stuff on my PC and I back it up to my server and I'm running Unraid on a 24 disc system. And um, that that holds everything. Uh, and then it gets released. And then um, that's it. <laughs> that's, wow. that's in a nutshell. That's the work. That's the workflow. Uh, wow. it, I, Sean's going to be moving back here. So then the workflow will mod be modified a little bit. So we'll have mm -hmm. more handheld camera movement during certain things. Okay. Or he'll be able to set up stuff while I'm setting up other stuff. And so our our workflow will be... Uh, condensed a bit because more than one person is doing it. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what we do, man. That's that is that's pretty like cool. Day in, day out. I didn't I didn't realize it was uh, so remote. Um, and that's really that's kind of an interesting peek into that as well. I, how about that? That's really cool. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, so when it comes to like reviewing, and this is going to be because I haven't consumed a lot of your content. I apologize. Um, do you have, do you have like a standard set of prints that you do to test and review or for review? Yes. For review scenario, okay. I do have a standard four or five prints that I run just because I know how they should look like, like I know how they should exactly look mm -hmm. and uh, any printer worth its salt should be able to print these. No problem. Okay. But then we move on to just, uh, you know, flavors. Hey, what's current? What looks good? What's an idea? Hey, my friends made these models. Let's see how these look. And so filming those, um, I'll, I'll either get motions with my iPhone or I'll set up a GoPro or the Osmo to do a time lapse. Oh, okay. That's cool. Time lapses are always fun. They're always fun, um, yeah. So I missed I missed a question. Adrian asks uh -oh. again. Uh, he says, French guy, add it again. <laughs> <laughs> I've been using my FDM 3D printer for a few months now using only SD card. Do I need OctoPrint and a Raspberry Pi? What are the most gains I could make using those? Oh, that's a good question, Adrian. So you don't need it. Uh, running, running a Raspberry Pi and OctoPrint on a machine basically enables you to do more stuff with it. So if you feel deficient in what you've been able to do with your machine, I mean, you don't need it. But if you have a Raspberry Pi laying around, OctoPrint is free to install and, and use. So then you get remote control of your machine on your network. You could also hook up a really cheap USB webcam to be able to watch over your print or to be able to film a time-lapse every time you print. Mm -hmm. uh, with OctoPrint, there are plugins. Uh, one of my favorites is OctoLapse, which allows you to make one of those time-lapses where the head stays in one spot and just moves up and it oh. takes a picture every time. Yeah, That's so cool. I imagine, uh, so you don't need it, and I don't have OctoPrint or Raspberry Pi on all my machines, but it allows for easy remote control and if you have multiple machines and you had multiple Raspberry Pis, then you could via a, uh, my buddy Tim over at TH3 does, it, does this. He's got Raspberry Pis on all of his machines and he has a uh, power over ethernet switch. 
that he runs Ethernet to each of these so that the Octoprint gets an IP address, but then the power over the Ethernet also powers the USB port on the Octoprint. And so what's great is if for some reason he ever needs to reboot the Octoprint, he just power cycles that port on the switch and then it automatically does it. Uh, But then he's running remote on the machines and he can monitor them from one location. And then if something's wrong, he can pause them from remote and go fix it. Uh, It's it's always interesting. And if you just happen to have a Raspberry Pi laying around and it's not doing anything, it's not a bad use for it at all. Right on. That's pretty cool. All right. Uh, Daryl asks, uh, Joel, could you do a show on how to calibrate the Creality CR6SE? He says, mine works good, (laughs) but I'd like to make it run optimum. Oh, well, um, so... Uh, Daryl, the the issue with that is I haven't run into any calibration issues. So with the CR6 SE that I've been using, I used Creality Slicer, which is just uh, Cura 421 with a different skin on it. And it just it just worked. It like worked. I haven't had to calibrate it at all. Awesome. At all. It just it just worked. Um, And so. Uh, I don't really have any tips or tricks for calibrating that machine other than, you know, the normal stuff, like just making sure it's lubricated and making sure things are tight that should be tight. Um, you can always adjust your um, your uh, your filament extrusion multiplier, just if you're spitting out too much or too little filament. But one of the things that you said, uh, uh, mine work good, but I'd like to make it run optimum. And so I... Tinkering with your machines is always a really fun time, but I mean, and just like Houston, just like with computers, you know, tinkering with voltages and trying to get the most out of it, right? So if you're a tinkerer, that's great. I don't really have any guidance for you, but um, there are a lot of people out there who will talk about uh, stepper motor voltages or certain material profiles or something like that, but you just said it's, it's working good. And so if you run across a print where something isn't working as good as it should, then you have a mission at hand because you have a goal of fixing this thing. Sure. Uh, so I'm... I mean, general tinkering is fine and, you know, throwing new bits into, into you know, like PCs is fine. Houston right. will tell you that. But oh, yeah. at the same time, uh, if it's running, if it's running well and there aren't any issues, you just want it to run peak, you're starting to get into that territory of like it's it's more of a, a personal thing. I Like there's there's no way to really tell you how to run it better if it's already running well. It's right. if it runs across a certain issue, like mm. um, if it's not cooling fast enough or perhaps uh, your bottom layer isn't as good or your, your top layers are messed up or something like that, then we can start to diagnose. But if it's already running good, just print everything until you run into an issue and then we'll help. Okay, sure. Yeah, it's like don't fix it if it ain't broke, right? Um, yeah, because right. good luck, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, because sometimes tinkering introduces more problems than the benefit. Sure does. Out of it. Um, <laughs> I would point to the overclocking scene for that as as an example. Um, you can you can do some serious damage by tinkering too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's, uh, there was a bit of talk going on about different materials, SLA being messy. So would I go with FDM? Could you give a little a little insight into that, like the different materials and, and different applications for them? Because I know you there's mean, like, like different resin and FDM. That or, or I know there's different kinds of filament as well, right? There's sure there's there's, there's different kinds of filament. They're all going to be plastic based because they all sure. have to melt and be extruded through a nozzle, right? Mm-hmm. I mean. Toothpaste comes in all different flavors, but it all has to be toothpaste that you can squeeze out of a tube, right? Sure. So, uh, but with resin, resin is a bit messy. There's more mm-hmm. post-processing that has to be done, but you get more detail out of it. Um, okay. And so, uh, I think though, if you can and you're interested in both, we're at a point where um, FDM, fluid deposition modeling, right, melting plastic, and okay. resin-based 3D printing are so inexpensive for decent machines that you could get one of each and dedicate a space into your garage or your, your maker space or wherever you do your hobbies. And just, just know that there are certain way, things you have to do with this one and there are certain things you have to do with this other one. This is a little bit more messy, but it's more detail. This isn't as messy and it doesn't get you quite as much detail, but there are more color options. Okay, sure. Is there yeah. is there anything to consider beyond, or I suppose from like an entry level standpoint? I know at least early on there was a lot of fiddling you had to do with a three D printer to make it work 
well. Mm-hmm. Like I know, I know early on, like the Ultimaker, there was all kinds of weird stuff you had to tweak and, and, and edit. Is, is there still that sort of thing on the additive manufacturing side? But then also, is there anything to consider from a for a beginner in the resin space? Like how hard is it to? Oh, I see. I see. Um, beginner in resin is really interesting because beginner in resin just means typically smaller. Right. Okay. It's it's a it is usually uh, an an LCD here that uh, then blocks the light going up and curing a resin, and you might have just a little tiny build plate, and it rises up and down. And they usually smaller resin just means less expensive. Um, on the FDM side of things, you can still get a box of parts and have to put them all together. In fact, there's a lot of DIY efforts out there to make doing that more fun. There's something called the Voron. And uh, I want to build one of these machines, but you have to print your parts, you get extrusion, you get wires, you run everything, you put it all together. But it's supposed to perform really well. Uh, and that's part of what makes that fun is the community behind it. Like if you just get a bunch of parts to build a machine and you you want to get involved in a community doing it and there isn't one, it's not as much fun. But, right. uh, but like with the Voron, if everybody goes looks up and builds Vorons, I think we'd have a, uh, a much more well-educated society because it's a fantastic thing. Right on. Is there, so as the resin, is it toxic at all? Like, is it weird? Do I got to wear rubber gloves and a Well, you don't mask? want to drink it, right? It is, it is. It's just like, just imagine an epoxy resin at Home Depot. Okay. Are you going to drink? You're not going to drink that. Are you going to wear gloves while you handle it? Yeah. Are you going to wear a respirator or be in a ventilated area? Yeah, it's probably for the best, right? Because okay. it's going to offcast some things. With photopolymers, the stuff that cure with light, uh, you're still talking about very similar things. I mean, here's the thing. If you accidentally spill a little bit on your skin and you you clean it off and wipe it off, no harm, no foul, most likely. It, it's really, I mean, if you have a, a personal sensitivity to the ingredients within these, then you, you might get a reaction. It's really up to, it's really up to the person. It's almost like an allergy situation. Okay. And then once you develop a sensitivity to ingredients within resins, that's, that's lifelong. And then you can't be around them. So what I do, uh, I wear uh, rubber gloves, I wear gloves mm-hmm. and I wear a respirator and I, I do my work with it. And okay. I have, I have done it without a respirator in the past, uh, but sometimes the resins are really stinky, and I just don't want to breathe that. Okay. Any any special gloves? Are you talking like dish gloves? No, or like... Nitrile gloves. Those okay, work. You know the kind, the kind you can go get at uh, at the hardware store, like for okay. box out. Um, yeah. It. I mean, it is it is toxic. It, a company should be able to give you uh, an MSDS for it. You should right. be able to get a, a list of what's in it and at what proportion. And yeah. you, you can, I mean, you can go through and be like, oh, yep, that's toxic. That's toxic. That's carcinogen. Oh, okay. Okay. Good. 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 Yeah. It's uh, just, it's messy and it's with a substance that is a little toxic. So you should probably treat it with respect. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We, we touched on this earlier, but I'd, I'd like to come back around to this, um, as well. If you were going to recommend a decent red, resin printer to buy as a first one, what would you suggest? I think decent we, did I, we talked about that. Hey, Miles, yeah. how's it going? Uh, that's my buddy, Miles, over in the UK. Oh. Yeah. Um, so I think, so any, if you're looking at um, any of the uh, less expensive anti-cubic machines, uh, the Elegoo Mars resin printers, um, the Frozen Sonic Mini 4K, uh, all of those, like any 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 resin based machine that is sub four or five hundred bucks, really right now is is fantastic because they're going to print well, and you're going to be able to experiment and and join in a hobby without having to spend too much coin. I mean, there there are larger versions of all of these, or more or uh, or more feature rich versions of these, but really, I mean, just. Dude, go get a Frozen Sonic Mini 4K. Uh, like it is, uh, I was amazed at how easy it was to set up and the quality of the prints that came off of it. Just in case, I've already got the link for you. Look at that. Because that sounds pretty Bam. cool. And I'm, I want to look a little bit more into that because that sounds really neat. There's probably uh, there's probably an Amazon link too. So, 
Oh, I'm sure that that's direct to the manufacturer. Yeah. Um, all right. So we are a little bit over our hour. Um, I'm curious. One more question. Um, what are you most excited about looking forward? I think the- looking uh, so looking forward, I think that I'm looking forward to society getting back to some form of normalcy. I think part of the joy in this hobby is being able to meet others in real life and talk about the ups and the downs and, and inspire each other via that method. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the things I'm really, really looking forward to getting back to. Um, but I think in this year, it's going to take a while till we get back mm-hmm. to doing that. And so I'm just excited to be able to, from my home or my studio, be able to show off new cool tech that may not be easily accessible by others. Like I have a, I have a giant $38,000 3d printer in my garage. I know not everybody's going to be able to do that, but it's, it's really exciting for me to be able to show my audience, the ups and downs, you know, the positives and the negatives to having a giant industrial 3d printer in your garage. And so I'm, I'm reaching out to other manufacturers and companies. And I think, I think being able to, instead of travel to these places, like when I traveled to Siemens in Görlitz, mm-hmm. Germany, you know, I can't do that right now. But if there's a way for me to trial industrial tech, but local to me, and I can show it off, I think yeah. I think there's going to be some fun there too. How big is Giant? Uh, one meter by one meter by 0.7 meter is the build volume. Oh, oh, wow. That is pretty big. So I could print multiple computer cases at once. Yeah. Hey, I can print a giant computer case. Right on. That is yeah. really cool. Okay. Uh, and so I guess we'll we'll call it at an end there. Is there anything okay. you'd like to mention or shout out or say to the audience and anybody in the uh, who's watching or listening? Yeah. So uh, everybody next to me here, this is Houston. He is a rad dude. And he's not just a beard connoisseur. He is actually a kind human. And he's the one that built my machine. The one that I'm streaming from right now is a Core i7 system built by Houston at Puget System. They are a wonderful company run by some really amazing people that make really good stuff. And I hope you check them out. You can make me blush. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see it, but it's there. Uh, Well, thank you, Joel. That's great. And, and as well, I'm going to tag onto that. And if you do, if you don't already follow Joel on YouTube and on Twitter Uh and Instagram, uh, do that. Uh, You're the 3d printing nerd everywhere. Or if you just look up 3d printing nerd, I show up. Okay. Or, or I'm at Joel telling on all the socials. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joel, for, for joining thank us you, today man. and taking time out of the day. This was so much fun. I, I'm sure we could go on and on about this. this we'll have to do it again. For sure. Um, thank you so much. And thank you as well to the audience for joining us on our virtual Wednesday. Uh, we do this every Wednesday and Friday uh, at 1 p.m. Pacific. Wednesdays, we bring in uh, industry experts like Joel here to talk about their process, workflow, and t- tips and tricks. And then uh, on Fridays, we have a member of our labs team join us to a- help answer questions from the audience about the crossover between hardware and software. And so, and soon we'll be expanding that content uh, beyond just the labs team to involve um, our support staff uh, and uh, consulting as well to kind of get a little bit more insight into how we do things at Systems. So that's going to be really cool. And so mark your calendars, you guys, for that. That's Wednesdays, Fridays, 1 p.m. Pacific. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Sweet. Bye, everyone. Bye.